Uh, we are looking at 1 Peter together. So if you had your Bibles open, go back to go from Zechariah back to 1 Peter, and that's where we're going to be uh, sitting in there. Thanks, Cam, for praying for us. Uh, I want to ask you, first of all, what makes you belong? What makes you feel like you belong somewhere? Uh, is it a membership card, some sort of discount, and so you feel special going straight to the cash register and getting a 10% off or something like that? Uh, is, it, uh, is it a subscription to something? Uh, is it a sticker as you walk in the room uh, and get labelled, tagged? Uh, is, it, um, is it being known? Is it when people know your name, like that old TV show, Cheers? You walk in and everyone says, hey, Norm, how are you going? Is it, or is it knowing other people? Is it being familiar with the place that you're at so that now that you walk into a room, you know who you can go up and say hello to? What makes you feel belong, that you belong somewhere? Uh, there's, there's trivial belonging and then there's deep belonging. A trivial belonging is when you say, I belong in this queue, I belong in this line. It doesn't, it's temporary, it's circumstantial, you don't really have to have a relationship with the person behind you or in front of you, except that you hope that you're in, this, in the line for the same reason they're in the line. That's all, that's only, is this the line to the thing? Yes, it is. Oh, great, that's sex. That's all you need to know. Um, that's impersonal, circumstantial, temporary. But if you say that you belong to this family, then that's, that's personal and it has a long and it's not geographically uh, conditional. It doesn't matter where you are. You can be away from the family but still belong to the family. That's personal. That's precious. We're reading a letter by a guy named Peter. Now, just stop and think about that for a second. Peter Peter is uh, one of the first men to have been called by Jesus. Uh, when Jesus said, leave your, leave your boat behind and come and follow me. And he and his brother Andrew went and, uh, and left and went with him. Uh, Peter was one of the first disciples to stand up and say to Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter was the one who in the Garden of Gethsemane stood up and took his sword and defended his Lord, his master, Jesus. Legend has it that Peter actually walked on water because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter saw Jesus raise people from the dead. He saw him uh, heal the lame, uh, heal, uh, make the blind see. Jesus, uh, Peter also turned his back on Jesus, famously betraying him uh, three times, denying him three times. But Peter also is the one who was restored by Jesus after he physically saw Jesus risen from the dead. This is a, this is a man who was very close to, in close proximity to Jesus for his entire ministry and went on to be uh, a pinnacle in the, first, in the early church. And Peter writes this letter, but he doesn't write the letter to a church. He writes it, as you see in, the, in verse, uh, verse 1 there, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. He's writing them, he's, this letter is to go broadly. It's a, it's a broadly sent letter not to a church, but to a scattering of people. The, he's not saying that if you belong, if you live in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, or Bithynia, then you are God's elect. He's saying, no, that in these places, you'll find people who God has chosen, who God has called to be part of his family. And so today, I want to look at these two verses. We're not even going to go into verse 3 today. We're just going to look at verses 1 and 2, and just look at what it means to to belong to the same tribe as Peter, to belong to 
Jesus just as Peter belongs to Jesus. The first thing, which is really the, hopefully the, the longest part of this talk, is Peter writing to those, to those who belong, to those who belong to God. Uh, he says there, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect. Uh, there's, he talks about where they exist. But in verse 2, he says, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled by his blood. He first of all says, I'm writing to those who belong to God. He calls them God's elect. And in verse 2, he describes that as those who have been chosen. Now, here I think what's interesting is when he says that you've been chosen, there's three ways that you've been chosen. It's in the text here. There's three ways. The first one is it's according to. You've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of the Father. That the the God of the universe uh, foreknew you. In chapter 2, verse 9, I'm going to do a little bit of a spot check through 1 Peter as a way of introduction to the the letter. In chapter 2, verse 9, and this may very well be our second memory verse for for the term, he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, a people belonging to God, precious to God, his precious possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's chapter 2, verse 9. You were a chosen people uh, by the foreknowledge of the Father. Uh, Romans 8 picks up this um, idea of foreknowledge. And it's not, that, it's not the concept of God foreseeing. It's not like God has a telescope into the future and he just can, he sees the whole history of mankind played out and he can see how you will respond to the gospel and therefore you will hear the gospel and become his and so he foresees what you will do and therefore that's what foreknowledge means. No, the foreknowledge means that before you were even anything, God knows you. He knows you. It's an intimate word. It's, an, it's the sort of word that a, that's used of, a, of a, a man and a woman in marriage, that he has known her or he, she has known him, this foreknowledge of God. And so you're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. And this is the act of grace number one. This is grace number one, that it wasn't your choice. It's God's choice to call you in. But that brings us to number two, uh, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God and chosen through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. How were we chosen? What was the method that, that, we, that we came to God? Well, it's through, not your work, but the work of the Holy Spirit. This is act of grace number two. Uh, we are, we're made gods by the hearing of the gospel. Let me just read to you in chapter 1, verse 12. You can glance down there and look at it. Chapter 1, verse 12 says, It was revealed to them... Peter here is talking about the prophets of the Old Testament. The the them in that sentence is the prophets who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So you see, when Peter reflects on the ways of the Old Testament prophets, 
he realizes that they, they, weren't, they knew that they weren't serving themselves but a future generation, and that future generation is the people that Peter's writing to, and they have been blessed because the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has come to them through who? Through preachers, and who has the preachers been doing their work through? It's by the Holy Spirit. So the, the word of God comes to us through, ultimately through the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit actually wakens us and brings us to life. Uh, even our faith, as we respond to God, our faith is uh, completely an act of grace by the Holy Spirit. Uh, he first stirs in our hearts a reaching towards God. He stirs our hearts to reach towards God. He quickens or speeds up our understanding of the gospel, uh, gives us the lights turned on in our heads. He convicts us of our sin and he reassures us of the pardon that we receive through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he transforms our character by his fruit. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. This is all God's work. We are, caught, we are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the work of the Holy Spirit, and thirdly, for a purpose. For what? For the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. As you look at the NIV translation, it looks like there's two things. Uh, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ, that's one, and sprinkled by his blood. So you could then think there's two things happening there, and we need to be obedient to Jesus. He is our Lord, and this is true. Uh, but when you're not um, faithful to him, it's okay, because he sprinkled you by his blood. You've got to get out of jail free card. Now, these both, thing, both these statements are true. But Peter's actually talking about one and the same activity here. And let me explain it to you. I, it seems like Peter is got his mind going back to the Old Testament, to a book, a book called Exodus. Anyone heard of the book Exodus? Uh, well, he, he got as far as chapter 24. We only made it to chapter 20. Uh, in Exodus 24, verses 3 to 8, there's a story of Moses. Now, kids, this gets a bit gross, okay? So that means that either you've just finally tuned into the sermon, because I said this is gross, um, or you can, you can vaguely tune out for a second. But this is gross. Uh, in the Old Testament, Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and he set up an altar, and he set up... 12 pillars. The 12 pillars represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And he had some young people uh, come, to, come to him with, um, with some cattle to be sacrificed. So they were killed. And the blood of those animals, this is where it gets gross, the blood of the animals, half of the blood is sprinkled on the altar. And the other half of the blood is poured into a bowl. Poured into a bowl. And then Moses takes the laws that God has just been um, communicating to Moses and Moses reads out the entire law to the people of Israel and he says, will you keep this law? And they all say, yes, we will do it. Will you be obedient to this law is the words he used. Will you be obedient? They say yes. And then he sprinkles them with, sprinkles the people with the blood of that sacrifice. It's gross, it's, uh, it's ugly, it's, it's, um, it's more disgusting than Terry the Teddy. Uh, but there's something serious about that covenant between God. It, took, it, it involved the life of an animal. It's like a blood promise, um, like a blood 
um, you know, an act. Well, the, in that Old Testament passage, there's the sacrificial blood that takes part in the promise and the dedication of the people to be obedient to the law. That's the Old Testament covenant, covenant but Peter, I think, uses that, that um, image to talk about this new covenant that we have with Jesus. Because it's not the sacrifice of some animal, it's the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was spilt so that we could have a relationship with God. That's the extent of God's passion behind our relationship, that God wants us to belong in his family and he goes so far as to spill the blood of his own son in order to do it. But then we're not asked to obey the law in order to keep this covenant. No, we're actually asked to obey the Lord Jesus Christ, that we come into a relationship with him. And in fact, the Bible, the New Testament says that the first act of obedience to Christ is to devote your life to him, is to call him your Lord and your saviour. This this act of obedience to Christ and sprinkled by his blood is the one and the same contract. It's the, it's the contract of the, of the New Testament. Uh, in, in Exodus 24, it said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words that you've promised. But the, the grace of God is that Jesus fulfills the law on our behalf. And then he lays down his life as the sacrifice. He is the one that we dedicate our life to and he is the one who has dedicated his life us what a wonderful act of grace so god it calls talks to those who belong to him they've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of god handpicked they've been they've been transformed by the work of the holy spirit and if you're anything like me you give the holy spirit a really hard job to do uh you, we're probably very bad patients uh god is the doctor we're the patients and he needs a lot of patience to deal with us this is the new covenants by the precious blood of jesus you see the extent of god's passion for us i wonder if this means anything to you i wonder if this comforts you and reassures you and gives you joy if so then it means quite probably you're one of the elect you're part of the family of god who understands the struggle that god is going through with you to make you more and more like jesus that you've come to Jesus, not flippantly or just loosely, but you've come to him and you, you bow down and worship him. That he means everything to you. And that you, he means everything to you because you mean everything to him. That he called you first. The gospel is what defines us. As Peter writes this letter to uh, the, the people belonging to God, he's talking to people not because of their geographical location. In fact, he writes to us in Kingswood uh, because... God has known us and God has called us and God has redeemed us through the blood of Jesus. We didn't choose God, but God chose us. And if, we've, if, we, if you feel that, if you understand everything I've, I've spoken about so far, then you'll, you'll, you'll be able to feel your chosenness by your growing uneasiness in this world. As this world becomes less and less fulfilling for you, as, as hard as you've tried to establish yourself in this world, the world just keeps on uh, short-changing you. We feel it by our, our alien state in the world. And so Peter says, he says, I'm writing to God's elect, but then he immediately says, exiles scattered throughout the province of Pontus, Asia, Galatia, and Cappadocia, and Bithynia. 
these is, he's writing to people who don't belong here. They're not um, gathered together in one place, worshipping God in, in some special temple. They're just scattered across the, the globe. And while they live amongst sin, they've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Peter uses that word exiles. Uh, it's, if you know your Bibles, you know that there's a period in the Old Testament where God took the people of Israel, the chosen people of Israel who were living in the land, and he exiled them to Babylon because of the, their disobedience. Now, Peter doesn't use the word exiles here because of the disobedience element, but he uses it to describe what it looks like to be part of God's kingdom, one of God's special people, but living in a foreign land. You know, that famous song by the rivers of Babylon, we, lay, we, we sit and we, we sing the songs of Zion, we remember the songs of Zion. We're, we're, we're loving the Lord, but we're living in a foreign land. And Peter says that as you come to Jesus, as you come to the Father through Jesus, by the work of the Holy Spirit, you are becoming more and more alienated from this world. In fact, you're an alien, you're a foreigner in this land. And it's because of our relationship with God in Christ that our relationship with our society is a bit troubled, is tense, is, uh, and, and persecution grows. We are foreigners, friends, and Peter writes to people who are foreigners. And this is an important point because we need to own this. Peter wants us not to try not to be foreigners. He wants us to live as foreigners. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 17, he says... Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. The time that you have here on planet Earth, you need to live it as foreigners. Own that. Understand that that's who you are. Now, why are we foreigners? Well, one of the reasons is that because our hope, our hopes don't match the hopes of this world. What this planet strives for and, and, and uh, battles for is in a completely different direction to you and I who have been chosen, who have been called into the family of God. In chapter 1, verse 13, Peter says this, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Set your hope, let me read that again, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So don't set your hope on owning your house. Don't set your hope on the retirement plan that you're aiming for. Don't set your hope on becoming married. Don't set your hope on your children getting out of the house and being independent. Don't set your hope on you see, the, the job change that you're trying to make. Don't set your hope on, and I could go on and on and on, Peter says there's one hope. As people who belong to God, there's one hope that you invest all of your life in, and that is on the hope that Jesus Christ will return. Or he'll take you home. One of those things will happen first. It doesn't matter. But, that, but your hope is for not a temporary world. We're just passing through this, this planet. Our hope is for eternity. And last time I looked on my calculator, eternity is a very long time. My calculator can't handle that, that many numbers. We are, we are looking forward to something that lasts and lasts and lasts and lasts. And so it's, it's futile, it's hopeless for us to try and live in the community of God and belong to this world. It just doesn't make sense. When we, when we belong to, to God, our hopes 
misalign with the hopes of the people who are, who are at home on this planet. And secondly, uh, we, we will, because we align ourselves with Jesus, we will be somewhat rejected by this world. In chapter 2, verse 4, Peter says, As you come to him, the living stone, that's Jesus, of course, as you come to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You know, if Jesus was re- has been rejected by humans, then we who have been chosen by God ought to expect that kind of rejection as well. And so again, as, as hard as it is, as uncomfortable as it is, we actually need to expect that when we stand up for Jesus, we are going to find um, heavy persecution or just that what, what we tend to feel in this West is just that awkwardness, that kind of... Feel, that look of someone feeling sad for us, you know. And actually, we, we will feel sad for others who, who don't experience that love of God, who has laid down their life for them, to give them everything. Peter says in chapter 2, verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Do you see, this is the third element of why we don't feel like we belong here because we are working hard in, in, in sync with the Holy Spirit to change, to wage war against the sinful desires that are in us. It's a, way, it's a war that's internal, but it's a war that we want the Holy Spirit to win on our behalf. And, we, we, and so we, as, as foreigners and, and exiles, we are to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against our souls and so our world won't understand the struggle that we're going through. In chapter 4, verse 4, Peter will say, they, those outside of the church, they are surprised that you don't join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account for, uh, and be ready to, uh, for the judge, um, who's, sorry, to the father who's ready to judge the living and the dead. But the world won't understand the struggle that we're going through, and so we will feel alienated and foreign. Our struggle is an indication that we are saved. It's an indication that we're saved. And I just need to clarify this because nobody feels at home in this world. Nobody. This world is, is cursed by sin, and everybody who is struggling to make this place their home and their kingdom is failing, but they don't realise it. Everyone needs to, needs to realise that this world doesn't offer anything and therefore turn to Jesus, who gives us eternal hope. So our struggle isn't just the common struggle of mankind. Our struggle is the struggle of the sin that wages war against us. It's a struggle that comes by our allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a struggle because our hope is in eternity and not in this world that we stand in. But friends, the last thing I want to say is that while we belong to God, we don't belong to this world, but we do belong to one another. We do belong to one another. It's a very subtle uh, message in those verses, but Peter does say uh, to, to those, to we, it's a plural, who have been chosen and sprinkled by the blood through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Uh, and he says in the last, uh, the last part of verse 2, grace and peace be yours in abundance. To you all, grace and peace be to you all. 
we have a, a common ground here because we have one master who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is going to end this, this book by saying, in chapter 5, verse 1, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering who also will share in the glory to be revealed. This Peter, who is so legendary in the faith, he, when he speaks to the elders in the church, he says, I'm, I'm equal with you. I'm on the same pay grade as you. And he says, the reward that I get at the end is no different to yours. We're going to share in the same glory. This is a community of believers who will all share in the same destiny. We have the one master. He, he says in verse one, chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He is sent by the king to speak to the king's community. Because we have the one gospel. In chapter 5, verse 12, again, he's going to end the letter by saying, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. You see, he's writing to such a, a, a large a group of people and saying this is the one true grace of God. There's no other. There's no uh, um, cumulative um, future gospel that we're going to one day learn. It's the same gospel. Jesus died, Jesus risen, has risen from the dead and Jesus is Lord. This is the one gospel we stand firm in. Whether you live in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia or Kingswood, this is the one grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have one community and our community is defined by grace and peace. He says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. We, you know, unending. There's, there's no end to the grace and peace. In chapter 5, verse 14, he says, he ends the letter, greet one another with a a kiss of love, peace to all of you who are in Christ. So that by the end of this term, we're all going to be kissing each other. Uh, it's one application I'm looking forward to. No, <laughs> maybe it'll, it'll be a fist pump. We'll be fist pumping each other, something like that. Uh, 1 Peter 1, verse 22. 1 Peter 1, verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. See, we, we don't just come to church, do church, go home from church. We are the church. We are the chosen people of God, and so we belong to each other. We're aliens in the world, but somehow, on a Sunday morning, we belong. There's a beautiful relief in joining together with brothers and sisters in Christ because we can speak the same language and, and understand each other uh, and get what we mean. In chapter 3, verse 8... Chapter 3, verse 8, he'll say, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. This is the community that God brings together. Not so that we be isolated from one another, but that, that we belong and love each other. So we are exiles, exiles like us. Peter's writing to you and I. I'm looking forward to going through 1 Peter together. Um, and we're exiles like Peter. Uh, a love that we that he is the champion, the pastor writing to us. Friends, we won't feel at home in this world while we pursue Jesus as Lord. We won't feel at home in this in this world while we pursue Jesus as Lord. And we cannot we cannot expect to feel at home with God while we pursue home 
on this planet. The two just don't fit together. It doesn't work. Uh, um, of course, we've got to survive. Uh, foreigners live in foreign lands. Uh, they do what the locals do, but they are never locals. They're passing through and they're looking forward to their eternal kingdom. Let me just close with these words of Jesus. In John chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus says these profound words. He says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast away. Isn't that a beautiful gospel? Let me, uh, let me close in prayer of thanksgiving. Almighty God, I thank you for the book of 1 Peter and I, I thank you so much for reminding us of how precious we are in your sight. Help us, Lord, to understand what it means to be a chosen people. Help us, Father, to understand the depths of the gospel, that Jesus would come into this world to save us. Lord, for anyone here who, who feels like an outsider because knowing you is not familiar ground, I pray, Lord, that their stay here in Kingswood Church would be life-changing. Lord, we pray that our church will be always um, ready to give an answer for the faith that we have so that others can join in on this same faith. Lord, help us to be a community who loves each other, not because that's what defines us, but because you have chosen us and demonstrated your love for us. Thank you for your foreknowledge. Thank you for your work in us through the Spirit. And we thank you for paying for us by the precious blood of Jesus. We ask you to help us to be this community. In Jesus' name, amen.